This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Ah, yes. Welcome once again to the Audio Imaginarium, dear friends. Why not gather around this electronic bonfire and warm yourself? There are stories to be told, secrets to be revealed. It's uh, no accident that this program emanates from the confines of a studio located in a section of Toronto called Liberty Village, and on Jefferson Avenue, no less. Jefferson Avenue. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, who said, For here we are not afraid to follow truth, wherever it may lead, nor to tolerate any error, so long as reason is left free to combat it. Jefferson, who said, There is not a truth existing which I fear, or would wish unknown to the whole world. We are, of course, fast approaching a Christmas. I, I think most students of the Bible have figured out that December 25th is not the actual date of birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Might have been September, might have been April. I'm in the, uh, the latter camp, uh, yet that's, well, that's another show for another time. But December 25th, some say, that's Saturnalia, Nimrod's birthday. Yeah, we get it. Uh, but I still celebrate. I'm able to... I guess compartmentalize. And one day I'll sit down with my little guys, North and Zach, and and have that discussion. But for now, Christmas, Christ's birth is to be celebrated on December 25th, and we'll do it upright with presents and parties and toys and elves and a pagan tree and all the, uh, the trimmings and trappings. All the while, though, we'll constantly remind ourselves that Christmas isn't for children. It's not about children. It's about a child. Incidentally, uh, throughout this program tonight, my little treasures, North and Zach, will be making what I believe is their radio uh, debut tonight. And you'll have to indulge this proud father, please. We're going to hear from these little guys playing and singing from time to time throughout the, uh, the program. But back to the child, the child, Jesus, uh, Yeshua. And I want to crib 
from one of my favorite uh, websites, just to set up the, uh, the next hour. It's uh, from WorldNet Daily. Not since Paul of the New Testament was struck blind by the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus has a Jewish man's vision of the Messiah created such a buzz. But the story of Yitzhak Kaduri, a legendary rabbi who died at age 108, is about to take the world by storm. A brand new book and video titled The Rabbi Who Found Messiah tells the story of the venerated rabbi who, on the Day of Atonement in 2005, had a vision that until now has received scant attention by the global media. And here to talk about his new book and new documentary, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, is Carl Gallops. Carl is a longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church. I had the pleasure of meeting Carl at the, at the Baptist Church down in Florida several years ago. He's the author of the bestseller Magic Man in the Sky. Additionally, he's a conference leader, evangelist, a Christian media icon. He's one of the founders of video teaching material to the world-famous P.P. Simmons YouTube Ministry and Biblical Apologetics Channel. He's a graduate of Florida State University and the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and as I say, his latest book, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. Carl Gallops, how are you? Welcome. Richard, it's so good to be with you. Yes, I remember when we were together in Florida, and I bet you're jealous of me right now, because we have uh, some pretty nice winter weather here, as opposed to you guys in Toronto. Well, uh, you know, I kind of like the, 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 the snow for about two weeks, and then yeah. it starts to get old real yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, I lived in Michigan the first 10 years of my life, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Of course, as a kid, we loved the snow, you know, every, every chance we could get it. I lived on a lake, so we got to do ice skating as well. And you were in law enforcement as well uh, before you, you came to the ministry. Is that is that correct? Yes, I was. I spent uh, right at 10, maybe a little more than 10. It's been so long ago, I can't remember. 10 or 11 years in Florida law enforcement, uh, seven or eight of those years as uh, deputy sheriff in two different sheriff's offices in Florida. So, uh, yeah, sure did. Let's talk about uh, Rabbi Kaduri. Now, 108 years old, or it's actually, that's sort of questionable. Some say he may have been somewhere between 110 and 118. Hard to believe. Uh, but give us some insights into uh, who Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri was. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. When he died in 2006, uh, most uh, claims have him set at 108 but it's anywhere between 106 to 116. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the guy was an elderly gentleman, uh, born in the late 1800s. We don't know exactly when, obviously. His life spanned, you know, the last of the 1800s, all of the 1900s, and, and right on into the 2000s. So amazing fellow. When he died, Richard, over 300,000 people came to his funeral. They had to shut the city streets of Jerusalem down for almost two days. Ben-Gurion International Airport was cram-packed with airplanes flying in from all over Europe. Uh, snippets of his funeral were carried on Fox News. I mean, I actually remember seeing that and, and marveling at what a uh, beloved man this was. Millions of people around the world followed his ministry. Uh, he was living in the land. He was born in Iraq, uh, but uh, he was uh, living in the land of Israel as a young man with his young family uh, long before it was Israel. It was called Palestine back then. And uh, so, so anyway, really, he's the most venerated, the most famous, the most beloved rabbi, uh, many people would agree, 
in modern Israel's history, uh, and 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 that's what makes this story so shocking. And it's still unfolding. Some elements of it are, and uh, it's what makes it so shocking. Is this, this deeply rabbinical Jew uh, steeped in uh, Kabbalism, Kabbalah, as well? Um, it, it just you know, and revered by millions of Orthodox Jews around the world. And then he makes some, you know, purportedly made some astounding proclamations uh, just before his death and in a note after his death. And we'll, we'll discuss that uh, throughout the hour. Yeah. Uh, but just a few more moments spending on, on the man, the rabbi, uh, Kaduri. There were a number of prophecies uh, that we'll discuss uh, attributed to him and healings, as I understand. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell us about these uh, seemingly miraculous healings that, uh, he, that are attributed to uh, the rabbi? Well, it, you, you use the word properly, attributed. Uh, of course, you know, I, I, we can only go by what people have said, but, but throughout the years, um, he is reported to have been uh, the, the, uh, the, the giver of blessings which resulted in healings. Now, here's the thing. He... His ministry, he was a very quiet and humble gentleman, and was not loud, was not forthcoming at all, uh, but just over the years he gained this reputation for being a man of wisdom, a man of brilliance, a, a man with a photographic memory, a man who knew the, the, the scriptures back and forward and all of the rabbinical writings and, and teachings and, and uh, the oral traditions and, and the written traditions, and so people flocked to his doors for wisdom and for words of blessing and prayers of healing, and down through the years, many, many people, Richard, as you said, gave testimony that they asked for certain healings, and, and they came true. They came to pass. They asked for certain blessings. On top of healings, they, some people proclaimed that they went to him with financial problems and said, please, please bless me with this. Pray, pray for me, and their financial problems would eventually disappear, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's a long line. And, you know, with a, with a man that old and with a ministry that long, you know, you, you, you never know what's actually um, verifiable or not, but the stories are out there. The anecdotal accounts are there, uh, you know, uh, by, the, by the scores and scores and scores, and so that's a part of his legacy, to be sure. And uh, this, this vision uh, that the rabbi had of the Messiah that created such a, well, to say a buzz is to put it mildly. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, take us back to that that momentous occasion and this this vision which he I understand he he went into a trance and when he came out of the trance he announced to those gathered around him what he had seen tell us about yes. what happened that day yes yes well you know it's it's ama- it's it's complex i'm going to make this as simple as possible but all the way back when he was a, a child 13 to 16 years old he had a pronouncement over him that he would live to quote see the messiah then when he was about 90 years old you know, and after Israel was a nation, another famous rabbi pronounced another prophecy over him that he would live to see the Messiah and actually would, you know, would personally see and meet the Messiah. Well, in 2003, uh, I, I guess Kaduri would have been, you know, who knows, 104, 506 years old, he made his first pronouncement that he had had a vision of Messiah. People were attracted to that. They were astounded by that, and they began to question him. He let, you know, he let out a few details here and there of, 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 of various kind of cryptic descriptions of, of, the, of the Messiah who was to come. But as you just referenced, the most astounding thing was in 2005, Richard, 
uh, just before his Yom Kippur service in October, and it is reported by some sources at his Yom Kippur service again, he announced to his followers, some of his closest followers, that he had had this vision, this revelation that Messiah has actually come to him. Now, in that Yom Kippur service, it is heavily reported, and I've got this documented in my book and resourced, that he did go into a trance-like state that lasted some 45 minutes. When he came out of it, he began to once again uh, emphasize that he had met the Messiah, that he knew the Messiah, he knew the name of the Messiah, and he had told some followers, uh, apparently some time before and at this meeting, according to some, that he had written the name of the real Messiah in a note, and that this note was to be sealed and opened only a year after his death. And the second astounding thing that he said was that he also had been given the revelation that Messiah would not come until Ariel Sharon had died. Now, now Richard, you know that when he made that pronouncement in 2005, Ariel Sharon was the 11th Prime Minister of Israel and was still um, Prime Minister at the time. Highly controversial uh, figure. Some hated him and some adored him. Some even proclaimed him to perhaps be uh, one of the Jewish messiahs that was being expected. So this guy was um, quite quite a political figure. And to say that this man had to die before Messiah would come was another astounding uh, proclamation or revelation from this uh, from this venerated rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri. So those things were said right around October. And the reason I say you know right around is because some reports having him, have him saying these things before that Yom Kippur service, and other reports have him saying it uh, again there at that Yom Kippur service in front of those witnesses. So, so Carl, right in October is is when he made these astounding pronouncements. Carl, just going to jump in here as the music percolates. We'll uh, pick it up on the other side. Carl Gallops, the author of a book that has created quite a storm, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, also a brand new documentary. We'll tell you how to get both. When The Conspiracy Show continues, don't go away. All right, that was my little north tickling the ivories there on a old beat-up grand upright piano that we've got in the, uh, the living room up in Thornhill. And uh, we'll scatter a few more... Uh, carols from uh, courtesy of North and Zach as the (laughs) program proceeds. Thank you for uh, indulging this proud father. All right, Carl Gallops is with us, and we're discussing the rabbi who found Messiah, Rabbi Yitzhak Kaduri. Uh, Before his death, Kaduri had said that he expected the Jewish Messiah to arrive soon and that he had met him a year earlier. And it's been alleged that he left a handwritten note to his followers that were reportedly instructed to only open the note after Rabbi Kaduri had been dead for one year. Now, before we get to the contents of that note, uh, uh, Carl, how did you find out about this story? I mean, it was reported, I think, briefly by only two news outlets in Israel, and then sort of complete silence, from what I understand. How did you pick up on it? Yeah, well, thank you for asking, and I'm excited to tell you how I found out about it. But first, let me just say, congratulations on that talent in your home, man. You're very blessed. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, thank you. Yeah, I think that's that's awesome. Well, Richard, uh, and and by the way, thank you for having me on your show tonight. Yes, I... um, 
let, let me tell you how I became interested in this, and then let me tell you out of that how, how I knew about the story and then how the book and the movie came about. Um, in 2007, that was a year after Kaduri's death. Kaduri died uh, January 28th, I think, or 24th, 28th, um, uh, 2006. A year later, uh, around April 2007, uh, Israel Today really is the one credited with running the biggest breaking story on it. It was a, 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 a I think it was a front page magazine article of their of their magazine published in many different languages, but of course it was also in not only in their print edition but on the website a, a big article about this note. And, and, and following them was the Hebrew only. Uh, media source called News First Class. I think it's now it's, it was it was uh, it went by the uh, the initials NFC. I think now it's called um, News One out of Israel, uh, Hebrew only. But News First Class and Israel Today, two major Israeli sources coming right out of Jerusalem, they reported on this note that was revealed because Richard the no- the note was published on Kaduri's website not on some conspiracy theory website, not on some nebulous website, not, not on some nefarious website, uh, not on some Christian website, but on his website, net. And Israel Today reported on the note, and so did News First Class. Now, the note, uh, well, well, let me get back to answering your question. So when that report came out, sometime later, I guess it was maybe a year after that, it was brought to my attention as I had just founded the P.P. Simmons News and Ministry Network on the Internet, and it was becoming insanely popular, and somebody sent me a, a, a clip of that and said, you've got to check this out. Look at, look at this rabbi. Well, when I went to the site, Richard, I remembered, I remembered when he died, because as I said, I remembered Fox News doing some snippets and reports on it, uh, and mainstream media. I'm, I'm positive it was Fox. It might not have been, but it was mainstream, so I remembered the guy. Didn't know much about him, but... So I read the Israel Today report, and I read the reports about News First Class, because I can't read Hebrew fluently, but I read reports about it printed in English, and I was just overwhelmed by this story of this this rabbi, this this uh, Orthodox Jewish rabbi coming from the rabbinical mode of Judaism, proclaiming it, it, that he had met the Messiah. And so Israel Today ran the story. I saw it. I took their story and journalistically put it in video format, gave them all the credit for it, of course, uh, and took the story and, uh, and just, just made a video about it and put it on P.P. Simmons News, just reporting this news. Well, the viral, I mean, the, the video went viral, Richard. It just went crazy, went all over the world, and, you know, millions of, of views between not only the video on our site, but the video was pulled down and put all over Facebook and YouTube, etc. Well, so... We uh, just followed it, and, and uh, of course, you know, it said Ariel Sharon had to die first. Well, Ariel Sharon, right after Yitzhak Kaduri made that pronouncement in 2005, Ariel Sharon went into a coma. He had a, he had a stroke and went into a coma. And, Richard, as you know, yes. Ariel Sharon's still alive. <laughs> Eight years, years later, languishing in a coma, yes. Yeah, seven years later. Seven, in fact, yeah. this year, the seventh year, in January, Fox News reported, and this is in my book, Resource, that brainwave activity was beginning to uh, kind of kind of come forefront again, and it looked like he might even be waking up. And in September of this year, uh, there was some surgery done on on, uh, on uh, Ariel Sharon uh, on his stomach, and they inserted a feeding tube as well. So, I mean, the man is not only living, but they're doing surgery on him and doing brainwave tests seven years later. So anyway, 
anyway, to answer your question, so in 2007, I saw this, made the video, got interested in it, been following the story along for some years, just, just keeping track of Ariel Sharon and and then watching the outrage of the Jewish community as they tried to deny it and cover it up, and, and, and then watching the media basically shut the story down. Well, early, early, early this year, uh, I guess January, maybe even uh, December of last year, I was contacted by my publishers. And as you said when you introduced me, I had already written a book with WND Books called The Magic Man in the Sky. And uh, Joseph Farah, the president of the company, um, had been on the Internet. He was fascinated by this story as well, unbeknownst to me. He had been studying up on it, and he called me up and said, Carl, he said, you know about this Yitzhak Kaduri guy? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, I did a video on it. And he said, yeah, he laughed. He said, I know. He said, that's why I'm calling you. He says, because every place I went to read about this, he said, over and over, I kept bumping into your video. And he said, I, I, I recognized your voice. And he said, I know this guy from somewhere. He, he said, then it dawned on me. Well, that's Carl Gallup's. He said, this guy writes for us. <laughs> and he said, so he said, I'm telling you, Carl, nobody has written a book about this. And Ariel Sharon is still living. And, you know, he's, 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 they're doing brainwave tests on him. And, and, and this guy made this amazing pronouncement. And this story is still unfolding. And there's not a book out there anywhere in the world on it. He said, you need to write a book on it. He said, you, you know about this story. You made the video. You need to write a book. And he said, if, if we like your manuscript, he said, I'll commit the resources, and we'll get a, a really good uh, producer, and, and we'll make a, a documentary movie about it. So I said, uh, okay, uh, let's do it. And so I spent many months uh, researching and compiling things together, uh, putting the book together, sending the manuscript. Uh, they loved the manuscript, and I praise God for that. And they did. They made a, a documentary movie that is just first class. People that have watched it have commented that it needs to be on the History Channel. I mean, you're getting a lot of those comments on the Internet. So uh, George Escobar, award-winning film producer, WND Films, produced the movie. So the book and the movie's out there, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. So that's kind of my journey with it. Um, I, I guess I made the first, maybe, I'm, I'm just saying this, I could be corrected, but I think I made the first video about it. Uh, as I said, Israel Today and News First Class ran the first stories on it, but then I made the video, and it and it, and it went crazy, and uh, now I've written the book, and as of now, it's the first and only book on the topic. And so we, we must now get to the note in question, which, as you explained, was sealed to be opened posthumously uh, one year after the death of Rabbi yeah. Kaduri. And from what I understand, you'll walk us through this, but the the... I guess the revelation came in the form of an acronym, did it not? Yes, it did. It was coded, which is, would not be unusual for Rabbi Kaduri because, again, he was a student of Kabbalah. And, you know, we can talk about Kabbalah all you, all you want. Um, I'm certainly not um, uh, legitimizing it. Uh, most Christians would, would, would say that Kabbalah, in its deepest sense, is, um, is a mystical, almost magical, uh, some would even say with demonic connections, uh, you know, numerology and looking for hidden messages and hidden codes to the point of almost making a, a Ouija board out of the scriptures. And so, so there are a lot of people who really freak out when you talk about somebody being involved in Kabbalah. But one of the uh, attributes of Kabbalah is to um, to kind of um, play with words and phrases and to make acronyms. But listen, I just want to remind your listeners that are Bible students that. Uh, not to get too freaked out about leaving a coded message, because, by the way, uh, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire Bible, is a Hebrew coded acronym. 
um, Psalm 119, each section begins with the first Hebrew letter of the alphabet and then with each successive letter. Um, a lot of people, uh, Bible students, know that. In fact, there are quite a few psalms that do that, that uh, c- kind of play around with this acronym coding of the Hebrew alphabet. So, Doesn't it say also, I think it's in, in, in Kings, it is, a, it is a godly matter to conceal a thing and a manly matter to search out a thing or something? To th- I'm paraphrasing horribly. Well, but. well, yes, and not only that, Richard, and, and you brilliantly stated that that, that, that really is a, a biblical thing, but when you get into the New Testament, you hear the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, was a rabbinical Jew, a rabbi of himself, a a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. Paul continually speaks, does he not, Richard, of mysteries and revealing mysteries and the mysteries that are to be revealed. Uh, You know, John, the revelator in the book of Revelation, speaks of of the number of his name, talking about the Antichrist. Many believe that that's a reference to the Hebrew uh, gematria, the, the numbering of the Hebrew letters and figuring out a person's attributes by the numbering of their name. John says that. Uh, the book of Acts talks about uh, the Apostle Paul um, distributing uh, handkerchiefs, uh, you know, to people, uh, the handkerchiefs that he had touched, and, and people were healed by receiving these gifts from the Apostle Paul. So, you, you know, I, I know that freaks out modern Christian, Western Christian readers, but you've got to remember, these guys were Jews, Paul and John, and they were rabbinical Jews. And, uh, you know, this, this Kabbalah has been around for a long time, and, 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 and it's steeped in their hearts and minds the mysteries of God and how God reveals himself sometimes step by step in mysterious ways. So, um, yes, the note was left, back to your original question, in a coded format. And here is my theory. Now, I can't prove this, Richard, but my theory is the note, when it was opened, I think was placed on his website by his webmaster or somebody. I mean, you know, you've got a website. Not just anybody has access to that. I mean, somebody wanting to play a trick on you would have a hard time throwing up a fake note on your website. Number one, getting in there and doing it. Number two, it wouldn't stay there very long before you or somebody would find it and pull it down. But yet this note was there on his website, and guess what? A year after he died, just like he said. And so here's a note, and I'm going to tell your listeners what it said in English, because, of course, he wrote it in Hebrew. And it's just, a, it's just an, a phrase that sounds like it would have come from the Old Testament. It sounds like something a Jew would say, uh, you know, a Hebrew would say. But yet the note itself contained the formula for the code for interpreting it. And here's what the note said, Richard. It said, and I'm going to say it in English, but it was, it was written in Hebrew, and the note was on the website. Israel Today reported it. News First Class reported it. Here's what it said. By the way, his website is kuduri.net. But the note said, concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, comma. Now, I want to stop and say, his name, his who, his name. Well, the Messiah, because that's what he said. He said, I'm going to leave the name of the real Messiah. So when he says, concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, he's meeting the Messiah. So he says, concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, comma, he shall lift his people and prove that the word and the law are valid. Well, that certainly sounds like something the Messiah would do. I hear the music, so on the other side, do you want me to give the revelation of what it meant? You are a veteran broadcaster. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, yes I am. <laughs> All right. We'll do exactly that, Carl. Carl Gallops is with us, the author of The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. 
All right, I guess you've probably pieced together which of the two is the ham in this scenario. <laughs> a Christmas-cured ham, no less. Uh, question is, will he be the next Bruno Mars, or I'm sort of secretly hoping, as a classic rock aficionado, the next Mars bonfire? All right, there's one for you. Can you figure that out? For you classic rock fans, Mars Bonfire, the keyboardist for great Canadian band. Wait for it. Steppenwolf. All right. Carl Gallup stays with us as we discuss his uh, book which and a documentary, which created quite a storm. Uh, and for obvious reasons, as we'll get into, the rabbi who found Messiah. So back to this a cryptic note that he left. Uh, it was sealed to be opened posthumously. It was revealed on his website, Rabbi, Rabbi Kaduri's website, a year after he passed. And um, you, you talked about the, the translation. I've heard, I've heard uh, so, something somewhat similar. Maybe the meaning is the same. He will raise the people and confirm that his word and law are standing. Yes. That yes. sort of jives with what you were saying. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, when you translate from Hebrew to English, there, there are variations in how you could translate it, but, but most of the translations have it saying, uh, concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, comma, he will raise his people and prove that the law and the, wor- the word and the law are valid. Okay, now, that's certainly, now, now the note is talking about the Messiah, and he promised he would reveal the name of the Messiah. Well, that note at its surface reading, does not reveal the name. No. But it reveals attributes of the Messiah. Uh, you know, he, he shall lift his people. Uh, he will prove that the word and the law are valid. Okay, okay, those are messianic descriptions. But watch this. The first part of that sentence says what? Concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, comma. Well, many people saw that that was the way that the note was supposed to be decoded. And I'm going to tell you what it said, then I'm going to give you my theory on why the note disappeared from the website and why now the Kaduri family and some of the closest, closest inside followers are proclaiming that the whole thing is a hoax and a lie. And, of course, they don't like my book, but all my book does is just journalistically report the facts. I, you know, it's not preachy. I don't jump up and down and proclaim that this is that but I do report it in great detail, and Orthodox Jews uh, are not real happy with it because I think they thought the story was shut down, and I'll give you my theory of what happened, of what probably happened to, to cause this. But anyway, so they looked at the note, and it says, concerning the letter abbreviation of his name, well, they realized, oh my gosh, this note is encoded. It's, 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 it has a code, and it's and the letter abbreviation of his name. So the rest of the note must be an acronym, kind of like Psalm 119. So they took the next words, uh, he shall lift his people and prove that the word and law are valid. Now, those are a bunch of words in English, but in Hebrew, that, that sentence, that thought, is represented by six Hebrew words. And when you take the first letter of each of those remaining six Hebrew words, Richard, yes. shockingly... The word that is revealed is Yehoshua, or the shortened version of that is Yeshua, Yeshua, Yehoshua. And the Romanized Greek version is, is um, Iesus, and from Romanized Greek to English is Jesus. So, yes. so this, this rabbinical, uh, you know, this, this revered, venerated rabbi 
uh, of Kabbalistic tradition, Orthodox rabbinical Judaism, uh, the most revered rabbi in, in, in modern Israel's history, perhaps in the world during his day, 300,000 people came to his funeral. He leaves a note that when decoded says the real name of the real Messiah is Jesus. That shook the Jewish Orthodox world to its foundations. Understandably, understandably. Yes. And one has to appreciate the sensitivity here. Oh, the... yes. Oh, yes. And and I've tried to be very sensitive in handling this. In fact, I've been very gracious to the Kaduri family, not only in the book, but in my in the movie. Um, and, and we just report the facts, and we, we um, uh, document our sources uh, clearly and carefully. Uh, but But the bottom line is, that would be tantamount to Billy Graham, whose bless his soul, is you know he's on on his deathbed apparently, according to some of his own people here in the recent headline news, just in the past few few days, read on Drudge just the other day that his own family is saying that he's passing very quickly. Uh, but that would be like if Billy Graham passed and, and left a note, and a year later we opened it and it said, "Look, the real Messiah. I know who it is. The real Messiah is Muhammad." I mean, I mean that would that would shake the Christian world to its foundations. Well, that's the very effect that this note from this Billy Graham of Judaism had. Now, let me give you my theory on what probably happened with all of this. We'll do that when we come back, uh, Carl. Okay. Carl Gallops is with us, the rabbi who found Messiah, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't you dare go away. Yeah, you're getting some of the behind-the-scenes action in that recording there. That'll all be released, I guess, on the uh, you know the the bootleg album or something. A little north there, playing around with some polyrhythms or something. I don't know. Some interesting time signatures there, to say the yeah. least. All right, Carl Carl Gallup stays with us as we discuss yeah. the rabbi who found Messiah. And uh, again, you know, we understand obviously tremendous sensitivity uh, must be paid here. The uh, yeah. the analogy that you made, Carl. I think is is uh, uh, quite uh, brilliant, actually. Imagine if, for Christians, uh, Billy Graham on his deathbed, uh, you know, were to leave a, a a note to be opened posthumously, and when it was revealed, Billy Graham were to pronounce that the Messiah is Muhammad. Uh, that's the sort of you know earth-shattering uh, impact this must have uh, for the uh, for the Jewish community when their most revered, one of their most revered rabbis, uh, seals a note that is revealed, that reveals the name of the Messiah to be Yeshua or Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, I can't even imagine what that must be like uh, for them. So the 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 son of uh, Rabbi Kaduri um, claims that this was a forgery. This note is a hoax. It's not the real deal. How can we be certain that he's not Right. Yeah. Well, there's a possibility that he is right, and I deal with that possibility in my book. As I said, I, th- I think my book is written very fairly, very journalistically, and with all deference to the Kaduri family. Uh, listen, I have no desire to harm the legacy of this man. I mean, in, within his faith, uh, theater of faith, uh, he was um, quite a remarkable, remarkable man and, and, and has, has a, a, an amazing legacy. But listen, Kaduri himself is the one who said he saw Messiah. He himself is the one who said, you know, I, I know his name. Uh, I mean, many, many witnesses know this. We, in my book and in the movie, the movie, we actually have film footage of students, uh, older men. I'm not talking about 20-year-old students. I'm talking about 50, 60-year-old men of his rabbinical training school who are on film testifying that Kaduri not only spoke of 
this vision of Messiah in his rabbinical training school, but he actually spoke of Yehoshua as being Messiah in his school, and a couple of his students actually gave their lives to Yehoshua as Messiah, as Lord, as a result of Kaduri's teaching. Now, Kaduri wasn't running an evangelistic camp, and he wasn't giving invitations like we would think of in Western Christianity, but 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 for you know his son David to just flat out deny. In fact, we have David Kaduri on film saying, "My father never even spoke of Messiah at all." Well, now that's not accurate, <laughs> you know, Richard. That's not the truth. I mean, we we, we I mean, uh, Israeli media printed uh, Kaduri's statements about Messiah. Um, and his visions of Messiah. And again, we have his own students on film. So anyway, here's what I think happened, Richard. Now, I can't prove this, but this, you know, being an ex-cop and an investigator, this this makes investigative sense to me. Uh, First of all, the possibilities are that David Kaduri's right. It is a big hoax, but you have to explain a couple of things. First, you have to say, well, if it's a hoax, who in the world had access and why, after all these years later, do you not have any clue as to who gained access to the website and put it up there? Number two, why would anybody want to do that? I mean, within the Jewish world, who would want to do that? And if it was within the, uh, you know, some Christian uh, world that, that was trying to do this, what, well, and seven years later, why, why haven't we discovered anything about that? Well, we haven't. Secondly, we know he was going to leave a note because he said that publicly, so where's the real note? I mean, if this one's a fake, where's the real one, and why doesn't anybody talk about that? Listen, you know? let me ask you here, just jump in here for a second, and, yeah. and that is that the, the, the note that was revealed on the website, was this a scan of the actual handwritten note? Yes, yes. I mean, I mean, that's what's being reported, and that's what it, it surely looks like. And as a matter of fact, Israel Today, when I contacted the folks at Israel Today, they told me, said, look, Carl, we stand by our story. We've, we investigated this. We talked to his followers. We scanned the note. We took the note to David Kaduri. David Kaduri drug out some of his father's handwriting, trying to convince us that this was not his father's handwriting. And he said, of course, he dug out, drug out handwriting from... 70 or 80 years back. I mean, you know, the man was 108 years old. So, and they said, see, this doesn't match. And, well, you know, of course, a a 30-year-old handwriting wouldn't match somebody that's 108. But anyway, so yes, Richard, it's reported to be an actual scan of his own handwriting. So, and which came, by the way, let me be redundant, from his own website. Now, here's what I think happened. I think that they opened the note And I think they, that is his own followers and people with access to his website, his webmaster, whoever, I think they put the note up on the website because it was so astounding. You know, everybody, the whole Jewish world was waiting to hear from this rabbi like he had always given them, you know, prophecies and tantalizing tidbits of the future. And so they they wanted to attract people to the website, and they were announcing, "Here's, here's the note, here's the note, and it was there. But it was just there in those words, those cryptic words, that I think somebody, once they figured out, oh my gosh, he's left an acronym, and once they saw it, I think, Richard, it freaked them out. And I think immediately they pulled it down and started doing damage control. To me, that's what it appears like. Now, I could be wrong, and I deal with all of these possibilities in my book, but to me, as a former cop and just somebody with an analytical mind, 
and, and, and just dealing with all the facts and asking the questions, well, if this isn't the note, where is the note? And if it is a hoax, then who did it, and why have you not investigated it, and why have you not come up with a solution or, or an alternative answer? I mean, th- their only response was, once they figured out that the note said that the name of the Messiah is Jesus, once they figured that out, their response was, take it off the website and claim that it's a hoax. Well, but until they figured out that that's what it said, it was on the website, and nobody was claiming it was a hoax. Do you see my reasoning, Richard? I do. Uh, Who was uh, responsible for actually, I guess, decoding the acronym? Do we have a name? You know, I don't. And it's so hard to find out who decoded it, who put the note on the website, who took it down, because they've just the media just shut it down. They just shut it down. Again, Israel Today was the first one who jumped all over it and and did some pretty deep investigation, but even they were kind of locked out uh, as to getting details as to who actually, you know, uh, put it there, who who decoded it. But but the thing is, anybody who knows Hebrew uh, can decode it easily if if you see the Hebrew words. And in, in fact, in my book, I have it illustrated with with the words circled, and so that anybody that can, and of course it's you know translated into English, but anybody who can read Hebrew can double-check what, what's in the book. I mean, you can see it. It's, and there, there's it's, no other way. I'm no cipher. There's no other way of, of decoding this to come up with a different a- a- acronym. There's well, only one answer. I, I, as far as I can see, I mean, I'm not going to say there's no other way, but no one else has proffered uh, another way, Richard, and I can't see another way. When you take the letter abbreviation of each of those six words remaining after the instructions are given, it is Yehoshua. Now, let me say this for you and your listeners, and this is one of the arguments of the Orthodox Jews. Well, Yehoshua, translated directly to English, is nothing more than just Joshua. And there are millions of Joshuas, even in Jesus' day. There were millions of Yeshuas in Jesus' day. Not millions, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm exaggerating, but you know, a lot. It was a very common name. Sure, sure. Just like Joshua or John is now. Yeah, who's in to English. say that the Jewish Messiah uh, it could also be named Joshua and is not the same... Yeshua, that uh, you know, that we consider okay. our Savior as Christians. Yes, and let me address that. I address that in the book, and that is a possibility, and that's one of the arguments that the Orthodox Jews are making who can't really explain away the note. They're saying, well, okay, okay, if the note is his, all it says is the Messiah is Joshua, and that could be anyone. Well, my answer to that is, number one, you're correct, it could be, because it doesn't say Jesus the Christ or Jesus of Nazareth. But there's two huge stumbling blocks that stand in the way, and that is his own students are on film saying that he taught Yehoshua, Jesus of the New Testament, was the Christ in his seminary, and several students gave their lives to Jesus as the Christ because of it, number one. Number two, he said he was going to leave the name of the real Messiah. Well, Richard... I, there's only one faith system in all the world who holds up as Messiah a person that has the name Yehoshua, and that is the New Testament uh, revelation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth as Messiah. So I know the argument can be made, well, he didn't really say who it was, he just said Yehoshua. Well, I know, but his declaration was, I'm going to tell you who Messiah is. And as I said, there's only one faith system. And as I said, students from his own seminary, before he passed, they're on film saying 
look, he was teaching this in, in a seminary. This is no, no, this is no new revelation to us. And in fact, one guy is on there saying, and after he taught this, he said, I continued to search the Old Testament scriptures and determined that Jesus was the Christ. But you know, Richard, this shouldn't surprise us. This is what happened 2,000 years ago. This is what we're celebrating right here at Christmas time, that the Jews were looking for a Jewish Messiah. And when God put on flesh, he put on Jewish flesh. And he came under the name, according to the announcement of the angel, Yehoshua, which means God is our salvation, or God saves. And he was rejected by his own people, Richard. But, but after the resurrection, he was preached unto his own people, and thousands of Jews came to Yehoshua as Christ and Messiah, including Pharisees and priests, the book of Acts tells us, and including a rabbi who had some Kabbalah in him by the name of Paul, who not only had a vision, a revelation of Messiah, but it was revealed to him that Yehoshua was the Christ, and he spent the rest of his life declaring Yehoshua was the Christ, but he was eventually killed for it, and he was imprisoned for it all of his life. He was beaten for it by his own people. So this, this, this Jewish rejection of Yehoshua, I deal with it in my book heavily, and I deal with it in the film. In fact, uh, 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 Messianic Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, as you know, the New York Times number one bestseller of The Harbinger, he's in the movie with me, and he explains this Jewish mindset. So, so the reaction of the Jews to the book and to the movie and to this revelation and to this story that the Jewish media shut down, in fact, the whole world mainstream media shut down, it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, this has been the reaction to the name of Jesus uh, for 2,000 years, Richard. Well, Carl, I wish we had more time, and perhaps we'll have you back on at some point to discuss uh, a little bit further, um, particularly the the prophecy that revolves around the second coming and its connection to the uh, the, the death of uh, Ariel Sharon, which has obviously yeah. not happened uh, yet, as right. he continues to linger in a, in a coma. Uh, in the meantime, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, the documentary and the book, both available from WorldNet Daily. Yes, absolutely. You can get it at Amazon.com, bookstores all over, uh, well, the United States, I'm sure, in Canada as well, and uh, at the at, uh, WND Bookstore, at the Superstore, World Net Daily. In fact, a direct link to get the book in the movie is RabbiWhoFoundMessiah.com, or just get it at Amazon. Carl Gallops, appreciate your time tonight. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, Richard. It's an honor to be with you. God bless you. God bless you. All right. RichardSerrett.com. Be patient. It's being revamped, hoping to relaunch just before Christmas. That's your portal to The Conspiracy Show. In the meantime, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. I have a, uh, a good friend who is a huge... Uh, consumer, I guess I would say, a consumer of radio, loves all kinds of radio programming, listens occasionally uh, to this program and some other talk radio shows, but predominantly he's a classic rock devotee, as am I, and uh, he collects rock memorabilia. So I asked him, uh, I said, what's on your Christmas list this year? What do you want Santa to bring? I'm thinking, you know, he wants a Stratocaster or, uh, you know, he wants a... Les Paul guitar signed by Les Paul or something. He, I mean, he's at that level of collecting. You know, he goes to auctions and spends a lot of money. What do you want for, from uh, Santa? He said, I want to find a really good shower radio. 
which is, I think, you know, a little retro. They've been around for probably about 30 years. He wants a shower radio. But I was <laughs> reminded of uh, an observation from Jerry Seinfeld, who said, you know, do you really want music in the shower? I guess there's no better place to dance than a slick surface next to a glass door. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Good luck trying to find a shower radio. That's all I've got to say. But, but people are stressed with, uh, with shopping and filling the, uh, the Christmas list, of course. I can only suggest that what you try and do is keep it simple and take it back to basics. I mean this, seriously. The mighty Aphrodite and I, don't, uh, we don't buy each other gifts. Haven't for quite some time. Uh, and good old St. Nick takes care of uh, North and Zach with a little help from Yaya Vula and Grandma Serrett. Other than that, there's really no shopping uh, to be done uh, in the Serrett household. No frantic, last-minute uh, running around. Keep it simple. Let's get back to basics. You know what I'd like for Christmas? For anyone close to me who's listening? A nice, fresh pineapple. That's right. That's all I want. A pineapple. That's it. But, uh, but for many, I guess, Christmas is it's like a freight train that's barreling down the track, the, Polar, Ex- the uh, Polar Express, I guess. And if you get caught up in that materialist view of it, it can be rather daunting and ominous. The shopping and the in-laws and the preparation. If you're not careful, if every detail isn't planned just right, you, you fear it's going to somehow come off the rails in some horrible cataclysmic event, leaving you and Christmas in a tangled wreck. And that is not what the, uh, the season is about. So don't get on that train, friends. A nice, fresh pineapple. And uh, maybe a chance to curl up with the family and watch Alistair Sim say, Can you forgive an old fool who's had no eyes to hear and no eyes to see all these long years? Something else coming at us, like a freight train, and this might be far more ominous, according to uh, some. It's... Planet X, perhaps. Although, according to my next guest, Planet X, or Nibiru, heading our way, but certain individuals, certain organizations like NASA, don't want us to know this is coming down the pipe, and so they've disguised the arrival of Planet X, or Nibiru, as a comet. You've probably heard about Comet Ison, which we were told late last month, supposedly, was swallowed up as it passed the sun. So, we're about to uh, separate fact from fiction with a, uh, an interesting gentleman I just recently met. Let's call him an independent researcher. He's also an attorney residing in Germany, where he's up very early to speak with us, and we're very uh, pleased that he has uh, done that. And uh, good pleasure, or a great pleasure to welcome Stefan Stefan Grossman to the Conspiracy Show. Hello, Stefan. How are you? Hello, Richard. Can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. It's like you're in the next room, my friend. That's wonderful. It's a great honor to be on your show for the first time. Thank you for having me. Actually, you put my mind a few minutes ago in a mode of distraction, because since you've mentioned that, I've been thinking of where will I get a piece of pineapple from now? <laughs> well, and it, it, and it, yeah. 
it's uh, it's just good, nutritious. It's a superfood, and that's you know that's all I, that's all I want uh, on my Christmas list. Just a fresh pineapple. That's, uh, trying to keep it simple. Yep. Oh, trying to keep it simple. This is not simple. This is. Look, I've you know Nelson Sal, and uh, it was the the. the Lenny Bloom talk radio with Sherman Skolnick. We looked into all sorts of conspiracies. That's also something like a delicious pineapple. And I've, I've always been looking around, what are the most delicious conspiracies? And you're seeing, I'd, I'd like to keep this a little bit on the level of levity. Um, let's not get it too serious, in particular because when you go through it for 100 hours, the bottom line still will be actually we know nothing. One yeah, maybe it's more quite... like a maybe it's more like an onion than a pineapple. <laughs> uh, yep. But let's yeah, we'll we'll end the the fruit and vegetable analogy there. I think we've taken that about as far as it can go. But let's let's uh, dive right in here. For those uh, not familiar with uh, this comet Ison, um, well, tell us basically. You know what that was all about, and and uh, why you believe that it's not actually or wasn't a comet at all. There's been reporting all over. One site is zetatalk.com that there's a cataclysm coming. This is something that an author Zechariah Sitchin also mentioned, and there's a huge planet coming in, and a second sun, and um, that there will be. Not a collision with planet Earth, but some kind of a cataclysm with continents shifting around, weather changes. I think we have had weather changes, earthquakes, volcanoes. And the thing is pretty scary. One thing that I'd like to stress is we don't have to be scared because as far as we know, which is nothing, you, you, you don't get scared about something that you know. The unknown is scary, but let's just keep a level head here. What, what I found out as an attorney, but of course an attorney always looks, is the guy lying or not? Most people are lying in difficult situations. NASA seems to be in a difficult situation, and they're lying their head off. That's what I can say, because they're violating basic principles of astronomy. They've put out all sorts of information which is good and then they're drawing the false conclusions from it. I, I, I put two videos together at YouTube, one minute and another one minute and if people want to look it up later, five words at YouTube as a search string, pseudo, comet, ison, radiation, pressure. They're making a huge object which they themselves measured at 50,000 kilometers diameter, four times the diameter of Earth. They say it's a comet of one kilometer size. That's absolutely ridiculous. In the YouTube text on the YouTube page of those two videos I mentioned, there's also a link to a PDF at FreakShare. It goes into this. And if you look at a comet, yeah, comets can be 50,000 kilometers big, but they're transparent. And then you see like a little pin inside is the so-called nucleus. What this thing is, it's 50,000 kilometers, not transparent, not a pin-sized nucleus in it, but just huge. It has gravitational effects. 
the so-called tail, which is not a ribbon but a V-shaped wake, should point away from the sun at all time. Johannes Kepler knew that in 1619, the tail of a comet always points away from the sun, and the tail or wake of this thing never points away from the sun, and NASA actually shows it. So that's real interesting. I can say with certainty, if you look at the materials that I deposited, this is not a comet. And so, so on. just to recap, uh, Stefan Grossman on the line from uh, Germany, uh, an attorney, independent researcher, you're saying that the uh, the, the uh, astral body that NASA is holding up as a comet does not have any of the characteristics of a comet. It doesn't have a tail. It doesn't have, uh, I, I believe, something that is called, a, is it called a comma? Right. Now... Right. It, so coma in coma in a person is when they're of course we know what a coma is but in a comet the coma is something like a halo a glowing transparent halo around a pin-sized nucleus and and it consists of dust and gas and then as the comet travels against the sun wind that's called the radiation pressure the sun wind presses parts of the coma out away from the sun and that's called the tail and the tail is ribbon shaped the tail develops especially close to the sun a certain curvature which is a fingerprint and that's what a comet is and we know what a comet looks like now uh, ISON was supposedly discovered I believe by a Russian astronomer just last right. year was it not? yep September 21 2012 and so what what would the argument be then that that uh, this Russian astronomer uh, was asked by NASA to develop this cover story? Uh, it's a con Richard. It's a conspiracy. It's exactly. Walk walk me through then how that would how that would work. They would they would convince this astronomer to create a cover story, knowing full well that something else was coming our way. Planet X, Nibiru, and we'll get into a little bit more what what the Nibiru is in just a moment. Uh, so the, the 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 ground was being laid back in 2012. This this Russian astronomer was basically told to create this cover story. Is that how it works? Exactly. If if he was a Russian astronomer. We don't really know who he is. And the images uh, that NASA was was sending us uh, that were supposedly this comet Ison. I mean, is it is it readily apparent to would it be readily apparent to to anyone looking at it that 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 there's no coma, there's no tail, or were they sending us some other image, some manufactured image? Was the were the were the images doctored? Well. There, there's all sorts of things. NASA is reporting two different things for the science community in terms that the layman will not understand readily. NASA is reporting the full truth. There's um, a science journal article from January 2013. They show the object as it is, not a coma, 50,000 kilometers in size, they give the analytics, and then in the text, hi, yeah, no, we just coming. Have, no, we just have the music coming up, we're going into a break. Listen, we'll, um, we'll take a time out here, we'll yep. come back. Stefan Grossman on the line from Germany as we discuss the pseudo-comet Ison. Is it in fact Planet X? We will reveal all when the Conspiracy Show continues. You can jump on board as well, we'll make the phones available to you. Tim, open up the gates. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. 
What is it about a child's voice? Even if they're singing a little off-key, it just sounds so sweet. Ah, Zachary, there he goes. With, uh, that's a song he'll be performing at his school's Christmas concert. Thank you for indulging uh, this proud father as we play a few carols from uh, North and Zach, my little treasures. Right now, uh, joining us on the line from Germany is independent researcher and attorney uh, Stefan uh, Grossman, who's here to tell us that uh, we have been duped, deceived by NASA, uh, and that the whole comet Ison was a uh, the, the whole comet Ison story was a cover. Uh, yep. That yep. Uh, what's heading heading our way is Nibiru and uh, or, or Planet X, as it is somewhat uh, sometimes called. Now, listen, you've got to uh, set me straight here on something, uh, Stefan, and that is. Uh, early on in December, we were told that Comet Ison, uh, as it approached the sun, basically burned up and, uh, you know, sort of problem solved. That was the end of it. What, what, uh, I mean, how do you explain that? What, what happened with that comet? Um, let me just, um, this, this is, of course, astronomy. You, you, we're in the astronomy part, and that's science, and it's a bit complicated. Let me say again, for people who want to follow up with that later, go to YouTube. I've put out two videos. Search a string of five words at YouTube. Pseudo, comet, ison, radiation, pressure. This leads to two very short videos by Stefan Grossmann, December 13 and 14. Also check the, <clears throat> the explanatory text on the YouTube pages. There's a link there to a 27-page heavily illustrated PDF report for free download at FreakShare. The link is on the YouTube pages in the text. Check that later. I'd like to point out that NASA has put out correct information for the science community. One is a two-page article, January 2013, Trigo Rodriguez Ison or Ison PDF. You can Google that. Two pages showing a non-coma, a planetary object, 15 arc seconds at 5.22 astronomical units. That is Nibiru, a solid brown dwarf with 50,000 kilometers diameter. But they're twisting their words based on the correct data that they published to make the pub, general public, not the astronomers, to believe, oh, this is just a little comet, a pin-sized nucleus with a 50,000-kilometer diameter coma. But the coma is transparent, and as soon as a coma forms, the so-called radiation pressure, a concept coined by Johannes Kepler in 1619, hundreds of years ago, that's well-established comet science. If there's a coma, the solar radiation blows away part of it away from the sun and forms a tail. This object that's seen in the article, Trigo Rodriguez Ison PDF, you can Google that, this object Allegedly, a coma has no tail. That's posh nonsense in scientific terms. Any astronomer will laugh, laugh, but the non-astronomers, the big majority of Americans, of course, they will not laugh. They'll believe what NASA is saying. That's sort of like a shibboleth. That's a bifurcation. The astronomers will know, and the general audience will mistake the correct data that NASA is publishing for a little comet. In addition, 
of course, NASA and CIA, whoever does that, is publishing a barrage of images that look like a comet. So I told you one authentic photo that is scientific. The second photo is a composite NASA image of the so-called perihelion of ice on November 28. Let me just jump in here uh, because there are a lot of uh, you know yep. astronomical uh, terms being thrown out and, and uh, laymen like Richard. myself. What is a perihelion? That's what called uh, ISON, so-called ISON Nibiru, flew toward the sun, behind the sun, and then came out again at the other side of the sun, and it looks sort of like an oval curve there. That's what's called the perihelion, perihelion because that's the time when this object came the closest to the sun, which was rather close. And we were, told, had, and we were told that ISON basically uh, fell into the sun and, and burned up and put on a, kind of a, a nice little uh, you know, show logi- in, the, in the sky. Logical. Of course, but what you see, like the emperor's new clothes, oh no, the emperor is not nude. What you see on the photo published by NASA, it's on page 9 of my PDF report that I just mentioned, you see a composite of ISON flying toward the sun, then behind the sun, and then something coming out, which is huge. And it's not a comet, and the tail of that thing that comes out from behind the sun is real. NASA explains that, oh, it's just a dust cloud. Totally impossible. Dust clouds are blown away by the radiation pressure of the sun, by the solar wind. And this thing that is coming out after the perihelion, it is huge. It has something like a tail, but it's V-shaped, wing-shaped, like it is reported since ancient times for this Nibiru. And the tail, if it were a comet, it would be pointing away like a ribbon in the direction anti-sun, and it would have a specific curvature. None of those features that a comet would have or that a cometary dust cloud would have are present here. The photos that NASA themselves, the authentic photos, NASA has two lines of reporting, the authentic stuff for the astronomers and then a whole barrage of bullshit for the general public, excuse me, general public, not an insult. This is also authentic, the composite NASA image of perihelion of ISON. What is to be seen there is not a comet, but a gigantic object. It's not this photo that is forged by NASA, but it's the words that are being twisted. That's a conspiracy, and it's a massive conspiracy because, of course, as we know, and as Mark Twain know in the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court with that um, uh, eclipse there, astronomy can be pure power. That's why the Vatican has always persecuted these astronomers like um, Copernicus and, and Giordano Bruno and things like that. That's the same thing going on, of course, we know from Eric John Phelps, behind all this is the Jesuit order and the Vatican. Okay, let me, two questions, two questions uh, uh, come to mind. Number one is, uh, why, if this is not a comet, you know, why tell everyone that it is a comet and why not tell people what's headed our way? And then two, how do you keep something like this quiet? There are thousands upon thousands of amateur astronomers out there with pretty pretty powerful telescopes uh, who would be able to I guess, separate uh, a comet from, or differentiate a comet from a a brown dwarf that's 50,000 kilometers in diameter. Well, that's a good point, Richard. I have, I'm an attorney with something like a scientific mindset. Yeah, I like science. 
I have educated myself at YouTube and on the internet with the help of exactly these amateur astronomers that you mentioned and there's a big discussion going on and there are many I'm not alone with this um, I'm just a collector I'm not a really original I'm not making original discoveries this all has been pointed out by people especially at YouTube that's it's going on then you have all these loud mouths out there like on these talk radio shows uh, I think it is coming out well there is uh, let, let's um, let's go back to Nibiru or Planet X. And let's spend a few moments uh, discussing what Nibiru is, uh, Planet X, how that links up to Nostradamus, uh, and of course even the Bible. Uh, yep. l- let's let's begin We're... with N- N- Nibiru. I mean, I-, I first heard about Nibiru through the work of Zachariah Sitchin, and, and he yep. wrote about yep. the, you know the, the the twelfth planet and so forth. Let's let's uh, get into that if we could, Stefan. Yeah. Um... Well, one first little anchor point is in the book of Revelation, there's an object called Wormwood. And um, it has been pointed out at YouTube by people that the um, Hebrew meaning of the word Ison is something like Wormwood, Star of Bitterness. So that would be one of these word games that they're playing. Uh, I, I heard about it via Zechariah Sitchin, and then there's a heavily disputed webs- website called zetatalk.com. It's operated by a lady in, I think, Wisconsin, Nancy Leader. Leader is spelled L-I-E-D-E-R. And they have been on since 1995. And since 1995, they've been saying that this object reported in the Washington Post in 1983 that's coming into the solar system is four times the diameter of Earth. That's exactly what NASA has documented in this January 2013 article of Trigo Rodriguez, 50,000 kilometers, is four times 12,700 kilometers diameter of Earth. That fits exactly to what NASA is now saying. So Zeta Talk in 1995 and since 1995 scored big. Independent of NASA reporting, they said that since 1995. That's very impressive. Since two... Yep. Yeah, I'm just just going to to sort of lay it out here for for people that Nibiru, uh, or Planet X, or the twelfth planet uh, that that Zachariah Sitchin was writing about. This was this uh, this planet. Uh, I mean, he learned about this by translating these Sumerian cuneiforms, uh, which revealed the Sumerian creation legend about how humans. I guess came to be on this planet, or how civilization arose on this planet, and it involved this the inhabitants of this planet Nibiru, which has this incredibly uh, elliptical orbit that takes something like 36,000 years to swing around into our neighborhood, our galactic neighborhood. Is is that the general idea? That's the general story. I think there's something different. Zechariah Sitchin was a Vatican insider. Most other cuneiform specialists say that there is no basis for what Sitchin said in the cuneiform texts. I believe that Sitchin used that as a uh, pretext to launch a little bit of the hidden information into the public, which the Vatican knows, obviously, um, and and use these cuneiform texts as a pretext. I don't think what he said is in the cuneiform texts. I think what he said is just information sourced from the Vatican for which there was some kind of uh, interest to to make it public. 
the time frame that Sitchin used was something like 2040 or so. So his time frame was wrong, intentionally wrong. But the idea is the same, that there is this, this huge uh, uh, a planet or a brown dwarf that is coming into our neighborhood uh, or swings by the Earth every 36,000 years. It's not a collision necessarily, but if you can imagine... Uh, an astral body this large swinging even, you know, in close proximity to the Earth, it's going to cause what? Polar shifts, massive uh, climate change. Exactly. These sorts of things. So that's yeah. that's what's headed our way. And obviously, you know, the, uh, the powers that be not wanting to cause mass hysteria and panic are going to create this cover story that, no, it's just a comet, just a comet. Yes. Um, it's not 36,000 years, by the way, but 3,600. My apologies. Every, every 3,600 years. So, so that means we actually have, like in the Colbrian Bible, in ancient Egyptian texts, we have reports of that. That would have been around 1,800 BC, 1,600, whatever. The, the, the time is a little bit, the chronology is a little bit uh, amiss there. And that would be the, like the Red Sea passage, the... the um, when the Hebrews went over the Red Sea, the, the dead, dead Sea, whatever, and the, sea, the waters parted. The Moses, Red Sea, the, the Red Sea, the yes. Time, the time of Moses, that was the prior pole shift and, and things like that. Uh, but let's not get scared. This is scary information. I don't think there's reason to be scared. That's a very important message. Um, this Theta talk, which so I this, and If I could just interject, I think this is an important point. Uh, what you're saying is, that even when Nibiru or Planet X or Wormwood swings around uh, again, and that would be imminent, uh, that this is not a planet killer, that this, could co- this is survivable. Well, no, I'd like to be very, very careful what I say there. In terms of predictions, astronomy is predictable, and what is happening here is not purely astronomical, because uh, let me tell you what the information is. At Zetatalk.com, they have, in 2003, the Nancy leader, she said, now this object is coming, she calls it Planet X, now this object is coming into the inner solar system. And since that time, 2003, until today, 10 years, we have a track record of photographs and videos of a second sun. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I gave you earlier in this presentation a um, a five-part search string. You find two of my videos at YouTube, short videos. Yesterday, when I had a little bit of time, I made a photo show of 10 years of photography of Planet X, like you can see it above the pyramids, above London, above the tower, the, the Eiffel Tower in Paris and things like that. It just gives a feel this thing has been photographed. One of the photos shows two suns by... Uh, a coastline, and you see the reflection in the water of the two suns and things like that. It looks pretty authentic. This same lady, Nancy Leader, who claims to be channeling Zeta Reticulans, little greys, one of them is Skinny Bob. She has a video of him up there. We know them from movies. She says that well before the time when the Death Star comes closest to Earth, the cataclysm will happen. The time when Nibiru, ice on Nibiru, <clears throat> is closest to Earth is, according to NASA's own data, is December 26, 2013. That's in a few days. But the information is the cataclysm will happen 
this has been out for years, <coughs> the cataclysm will happen well before that time. It was expected in October of 2012, but it did not happen. That's very strange. The explanation for that is there's not only astronomy, there's also a council of worlds that is some kind of a biblical salvation force, and they control everything. That's where it gets really confusing because we leave the domain of pure science. And we head into the world of the metaphysical, the supernatural, perhaps even the divine. Stefan Grossman stays with us. We'll be back with more of The Conspiracy Show talking about the pseudo-comet Ison and the arrival of Planet X here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Ah, that was a little northy, welcoming, welcoming us uh, back with a uh, Greek Christmas carol and the uh, the symbols you heard there were provided by uh, young Zachary. Good job, boys. Very proud of you. All right, uh, we are on the line with Stefan Grossman from Germany, independent researcher and uh, attorney, uh, discussing the pseudo-comet Ison, which many believe is actually a cover story for Planet X headed this way. Now, uh, in the Bible, you mentioned Wormwood, Stefan. Here it is from Revelation 8. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter." Uh, now, that's uh, supposedly, I guess, what's in store, according to Revelation, should Nibiru or Planet X pass this way. And you're saying that it's scheduled to arrive December the 26th, which is, you know, imminent, days away here. Uh, are you convinced that, 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 it, that it's real and it's coming and, I mean, we're going to see some fireworks? I'm, uh, I'm convinced that it's real, yes. I'm convinced that it's coming along the trajectory of so-called planet Ison. On NASA website, there's a very detailed uh, animated image that shows the path of planet Earth, of Venus, of Mars, and of this object which NASA calls Ison, which I call Nibiru. And according to that trajectory, at the NASA website on December 26th of this year, the object will be the closest to Earth. Yes, that, that, that part is true. That's scientific. But as I told you, the cataclysm was already predicted on a scientifically-minded website, zetatalk.com, who reported since 1995 the correct size of the object, now confirmed. And the cataclysm was predicted not by them, but apparently by the establishment. That's inside information. It was predicted for October 20 plus minus 10 days of 2012. It did not happen. That's very strange. That's the strangest thing of all. Yes, if, 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 if in fact uh, Nibiru is as large as is being claimed, we should have felt its effects here on Earth, as you say, over a year ago. If its, if its arrival is only days away... I mean, we should be in the throes of some, you know, major cataclysm now. If it's going to happen, it would have happened. Absolutely. And I, I have no doubt that I have read the astronomy correctly. I mean, I'm not alone in that. The amateur astronomers point out this point and that point. Then I take that and follow it up. That's how I've put my information together. I'm just sourcing the amateur astronomers. And they're right. They have good arguments. But it's not happening. That's the really strange thing. It's beautiful. 
but of course, as we know, it's not over yet. Astronomically, things can still happen in January when the wake crosses the uh, path of planet Earth. So this is not over yet. Astronomically, the question is why is nothing major, significant happening? And that's where we get into prophecy. Uh, I have four four major steps of prophecy. It's the Bible. We know about that. Bible prophecy is very well known. Then, lesser known, the manuscript corpus of papal vaticinia. Those are papal prophecies. This so-called lost book of Nostradamus is not a lost book of Nostradamus, but is a papal prophecy of Vaticinia. History Channel looked that up. It's on YouTube, the full documentary of Vaticinia, Nostradami Vaticinia. They say it gives a prediction for October 2013. <clears throat> An alternate reading is December, the Christmas days of 2013. Let's skip that. The interesting one is Nostradamus. He speaks of two sons. They will shine seven days. He speaks of end of the world in 3797. I uncode that and say it means 13 to 14 and relate that to the change end of year 2013 when it turns into 2014. That's in my paper. And I say that the 23rd, the night of 23rd to 24th December is the start of something at the end of the seven days of the shining of the second son um, details in the paper that's too detailed for a show all right and I've, then I've I... actually uh, uh, I'll just jump in here we're gonna take a break but I have yep. uh, on my Twitter feed I've put up the link to your PDF thank you uh, thank so you. people can reach research that for themselves uh, back with more of my conversation with Stefan Grossman joining us live from Germany as we discuss the arrival of Planet X batten down the hatches this could be a bumpy ride Welcome back. Stefan Grossman stays with us from Germany talking about uh, Planet X, Nibiru, pick your term. Uh, the idea here is that NASA has been lying to us about the pseudo-comet Ison uh, in order to discredit Nibiru. Now, uh, Stefan, no good conspiracy uh, comes without a death list. And uh, when it comes to uh, this one, we, we can go all the way back to, I believe it's 1993 now, 20 years ago. There was an astronomer by the name of Dr. Robert Harrington who worked with the uh, – at the um, – I believe it was the U.S. Naval Observatory and he may, may have been in New Zealand. Uh, he is credited by some as spotting Nibiru and uh, was supposedly murdered depending on who you talk to. Some say no, he died of cancer. Others say no, he was murdered. And then very recently, four days ago. We had this retired Villanova professor, astronomy professor, who was stabbed to death in Germantown in Philadelphia uh, by the name of, I believe it's Catherine uh, or uh, Carol, Professor Carol Ambrewster, uh, horribly murdered, stabbed. Uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, and there may be others that I'm missing here, this, this uh, supposed death list connected uh, to Nibiru, these astronomers being killed? Oh, Richard, that's terrible news. My heart bleeds for these people. That's, that's devastating. As you say correctly, it's, it's an established modus to um, kill microbiologists, whatever here, it's the astronomers, in order to silence them. It's just a standard modus of operations. And there's something behind that, obviously. And the timing of the second one in, you said just, just recently, four days ago, that's highly suspicious. There's something major to cover up there. Uh, the 
the uh, the idea that this planet X is approaching and yet we are not experiencing these cataclysmic events, although some attribute recent earthquakes and tsunamis and so forth to, to the approach of, of planet X. Uh, what are you hearing about, about that? I mean, can we look back at certain recent uh, uh, weather patterns, storms, earthquakes, and can they be, I mean, can we make a logical uh, connection to the approach of Nibiru? Well, with the weather, let's let's talk about weather phenomena like these snowstorms. There is technology today, HARP, um, Colonel Tom Bearden explains it in his books. There is technology available to the Pentagon and to the Black Budget Projects that enables to create artificial hurricanes, snowstorms, and things like that. So that could be man-made. A climate change at large, I don't think that can be man-made, and we definitely have a climate change at large. The, the fall guy for that, so to say, the conceptual fall guy, is global warming. Global warming has been attacked so in such a qualified way that I don't think global warming stands. One little example was the so-called ozone hole. I think last year or early this year, there was a short report, oh, the ozone hole has closed. Very strange. My inside information is that there was um, nuclear war going on in the Antarctic, not reported, and from all the nuclear fallout, that's what caused this ozone hole. That's something that was man-made too. But if you take the climate at large, this shifting, this mixing up and scrambling of the four seasons into something that's a totally new weather pattern, that's not man-made. I think I can be quite confident in saying that. That would need an outside cause. Also, there's a German engineer called Zilmer. He's written books. This change of climate patterns is happening on all planets in the solar system. Certainly, the use of spray cans on planet Earth cannot explain that. That needs a um, cosmic explanation. That can only point to a large, massive, not comet planet X. Uh, secret nuclear wars going on in the Arctic under our very no, noses. No, 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 no. It's been stopped. There are no more nuclear weapons. They've all been decommissioned by other forces. Uh, if you read reports about nuclear weapons today, there's no more such thing. But years ago, um, when the ozone hole opened, yes, that was a nuclear war. At, being fought at tremendous cost. That's where a lot of this money guzzled down the drain. Another That's remarkable. For, That's remarkable. Yeah. I'd, like to, I'd like to meet your sources because you've got some, uh, some interesting sources. This is coming to you from intelligence, uh, people in the intelligence community? Yes, Remarkable. And, and, and I put it together with photos like at Zeta Talk where they show this, um, this flight opening. You know, the best contact T case that was documented was in the 80s, Elizabeth Klarer, Klarer, K-L-A-R-E-R, of South Africa. She came out with her contact story that was recorded by the uh, South African military, was reported in newspapers, photos in newspapers and things like that. She was picked up to a different star system of um, Alpha Centauri. Those are people, they told her details. Also, they have a base in the Antarctic. I believe they were the target of that nuclear war. Okay, put it together. Take, make of that information what you want. 
All right, listen, let's go to the phones here and grab a quick call. Uh, Joe has been very patient waiting in Hamilton, Ontario. Joe, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Go ahead. Thank you, Richard. uh, Perhaps I can shed some light on this uh, Planet X or whatever it is that is is out there. Um, Recently, or not not too long ago, I read a book, uh, Volume 4, Witnesses of the Cross, by uh, about a French visionary from Nozul. She's responsible for putting up uh, these huge crosses all over the world. Anyway, God the Father revealed to her that there would be a, 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 a amorphous, a, a, a gaseous mass that would approach the earth, and it would cause a great drought, and uh, it would be, the heat would be so intense that pipes would burst inside houses. And... Uh, I believe this is what uh, the planet Icon, Icon is. It's that approaching uh, uh, gaseous mass that God the Father was talking about to this visionary. All right, interesting. Uh, Stefan, your thoughts on that? And, and, wow, wow, wow. Thank you, for, thank you for that information. It's new to me, and I, I, I keep learning every day. And I'm not infallible or anything like that. I've never claimed that. Come on, thank you for that information. A brown dwarf, by the way, could be an amorphous gaseous mass, sort of like planet Jupiter is a gas planet. All right, Joe, thank you for that. Richard? Yes. I'd like to say, uh, recently, I heard your show on the, on the Kennedy conspiracy. Yes. And I'm, I wonder why nobody brought up the, 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 the documentary that was on the Discovery Channel about a, about a, a, a Secret Service agent named Hick, Hickey who was in the car in front of Kennedy's uh, motorcade. Uh, who shot him? Who fired the fatal shot? Nobody mentioned that. That was on the. Uh, that was the most credible uh, 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 documentary I ever saw uh, concerning the, the the John F. Kennedy assassination. And nobody mentioned it on your show or anybody else anywhere else. Well, we actually, I uh, I, I could be wrong, uh, Joe, but I think we did talk about that with James D. Eugenio. Uh, we we mentioned it briefly. Uh, this this theory that uh, uh, it, it's no secret now that that many of the Secret Service on on duty that day were hungover uh, and were certainly not on the top of their game. And, and they revealed uh, that, uh, that that the autopsy CIA agents were in the autopsy room where Kennedy was being uh, topsied. Yes, although that doesn't explain, you know, why uh, the um, over a dozen attending physicians and other medical staff reported, you know, head wounds uh, from the front. Uh, well, the, the, so. the, the, the car was, the car, the car that, that, that fatal shot was fired from was in, in front of Kennedy's motorcade. It, it went through the windshield and hit, hit Kennedy from, in the front. Ah, uh, I thought that was the tail card. That was the tail card. I have, his, I have, I have something head. on that, by the way. Uh, all right, Stefan, go ahead. I have something on that. There's a new theory out. You can find it at YouTube, and they have a website. It's called JFK's Gun Flash, and they analyze the Zabruder film, and there's a gun flash there, and from that they conclude that the Governor Canali fired that shot at Kennedy from the front. Oh. Just, just an information. Uh, JFK, I, JFK's gun flash at YouTube. Canale fired that f- Governor shot at Connelly. Kennedy from the front. Now that, now I've heard it, I've, I think I've heard oh, them all. I've heard everything. <laughs> yeah, Joe, thanks for the call. 
All right. A little bit of a, a, a side trip there, but that's all right. Uh, Joe and Hamilton, thank you for that. So let's get back to well, – Nib- side side trip, it's all one conspiracy. It's a ball of string if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure had, if we, had we uh, the time, we could sort of unravel that string. But uh, let's, just, um, let's just keep pulling on the thread that is Nibiru for a moment. It sounds like uh, from what you're saying and uh, what, what Joe was saying earlier about this – uh, this gaseous cloud, that this is some that, sort of a that, harbinger, a harbinger. Is that what you're left to to conclude, that what we're looking at is a harbinger from some divine source here? Well, astronomically, it's not a harbinger. It's it's a menace. True, but as you say, it's we're not we're not experiencing the cataclysmic events that we ought to, and so perhaps we're being shielded uh, in some way. Well, let's go back to Bible prophecy or the Bible, it's very often mentioned this thing will come or the cataclysm, whatever, will come like a thief in the night. That means in one minute everything's okay, the next minute it's there. So that would fit that kind of pattern. If we'd have years of real forewarning, that would at least violate this Bible prophecy. It comes like a thief in the night. Is not referring to the second coming. Second coming. I mean, this would be the second coming if, if there's a, for example, there's a channeling. I wanted to get to the 20th century prophecies, which are not yet recognized as prophecies, but uh, there's Tuella, for example. There's from the Ashtar command, Ashtar, the, the archangel Michael, allegedly. There's a document called the Project World Evacuation. In 1977, in England, there was a TV transmission with a dire warning. It's called the Vrillion message. That's also, maybe you've heard about that. I have, and I've heard that. I mean, it is. It's alleged that's a complete uh, that 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 prophecy. uh, Prophecy is going going on to this day. There's a book by Michel de Marquet, the Tia Uba prophecy. That's apparently also sponsored by the Archangel Michael. There's a scene in there in beginning of chapter four. Uh, they meet a comet, but it has a happy ending. That's some kind of a dramatic narrative. Those are that's modern prophecy, and that's the most up-to-date prophecy. But that's the prophecy that is spoken of the least. Strangely enough, the Bible prophecy is old and it's very generic, and this is highly specific. And even after you go through that, at the end, my conclusion is like always when you talk to a lawyer, you, you actually know less than before. <laughs> I'm not so sure. Don't be so hard on yourself, <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> okay, listen, we, well, we, I, we, we, we should mention again that the, um, your PDF, uh, your presentation, which is uh, available on YouTube, uh, people can, can uh, type the following five words into the YouTube search engine, and those five words again are? Pseudo. Comet. Ison, radiation, pressure. You get to two short videos of, by Stefan Grossmann, December 13 and 14. You find my YouTube channel that way, of course, and there's a third video there. And if you look on the YouTube text on the YouTube pages, there's also the link to that PDF. And I've uh, also uh, sent it out on my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, uh, with a link to the PDF as well. And, well, I guess uh, we'll uh, eyes all eyes on the sky, and we're in for quite a show if this uh, comes uh, to fruition. We should see something quite spectacular just uh, the day after Christmas. Stefan, thank you for this. No, 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 no. No? Night, night of the 23rd to the 24th of ah, December. Not that's the 26th. My, okay, the 23rd to the 24th. That's what I get out of... That's what I get out of Nostradamus.
All right, Stefan, great to meet you, and um, we'll, we'll talk again down the road, I'm sure. Wonderful. Richard, thank you very much for having me. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas, my friend. Tim Spreen, thank you for production. Back next week with a brand new show. Thanks for being a part of this one. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.